1 Samuel, sorry, 1 Samuel 17 is where we're going to land uh, this morning. And this is probably a very familiar text to many of you, but uh, sort of in the same vein as what Rachel was talking about earlier concerning an old song that you may have sung as a child, uh, this too is a story that you probably heard as a child. And yet I want you to hear it this morning uh, anew. So we're going to begin reading in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 38. And just to set it up, David is a young boy at this time. He goes out to be with his brothers sent by his father. And they're on the front lines of the battle between the Philistines and the Israelites. And... The Philistines are sort of this nuisance that is there. But more than a nuisance, they really uh, almost offer up terroristic acts. They go, and, they go and hit this area and hit this area. And it's really just tough to find a front line. But here we get a front line. We get this one character that comes out that people are scared of. Uh, all estimates, he's somewhere between 9 and 10 feet tall. Uh, so, uh, beastly guy... And the Israelites are afraid of him. And David comes up and as a young boy says, you know, what are we going to do about this Philistine who's basically cursing God? Uh, I'm not going to let this stand. And so he says, I want to go to war. Let's pick up here in verse 38. And uh, he says this, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he uh, he was but a youth, ruddy, and handsome in appearance. So he's a redhead. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into My hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword, and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came 
and draw near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shariam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. We pray, O Lord, that we would hear anew this Word today and that You would speak things, Holy Spirit, that I don't even say, but that You would speak them to our hearts in such a way that we know it's You. In such a way that You call us. In such a way, Lord, that You will save us on this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I've told you before, I, uh, I enjoy a good argument. And used to, when I argued online, which was sort of a hobby of mine at the beginning uh, of Facebook, and I was still trying to understand this whole social, social media thing, one of the things I noticed is there's oftentimes in our uh, social networking and you know, blogosphere and all the online digitized conversations that happen, there's oftentimes a disconnect between what is said and what is lived. And I'll never forget a conversation I was having, a, you know, sort of a back and forth argument, if you will, a discussion is a nice way to say it. Um, that I was having with this individual and you know we actually invited them over to our house and for dinner and so we're we're eating dinner and uh, you know online we had been the, in the heat of it you know going back and forth and you know trying to figure things out and I, so I brought it up and this person's face just turned I mean as red as as these grapes up here and uh, and they couldn't speak at all and they had no argument at all when we were face to face. It was a lot of hot air. It wasn't anything behind it. There was no life behind it. There was no real passion in it. And instead, at the moment, cowered behind nothing. And it really surprised me. It's nothing to say against me, and I didn't want to push the you know the issue further. And so I just we stopped talking about it. But. It, it taught me a couple of things. One, never to argue in uh, the, the digitized world. Only argue face-to-face. So if you want to pick an argument with me, it's not going to happen online. Sorry, I uh, quit that um, several a year ago or two. So, you know, that, it, it taught me that for one. But it also taught me this. 
that there's something to be said about blowing smoke or taunting people and actually living it out and meeting the battle. Now, as you know, we've been in a series about um, the battle that we face, the battles that we face, not just in America. I hope you've understood that. I hope that you've seen there is a larger war and there are many theaters of war, if you will, to use some uh, jargon that some of you would understand here in this building. Uh, There are many theaters of war. We face several fronts. And, you know, one of, the, one of the ancient things about going and doing battle was sometimes they would set up this one guy who was, who was their horse, you know, if you will, to use some southern language. He was their horse. He was their man. And they would do individual fighting uh, in order to show really whose side would really win. And this was an ancient way of actually doing warfare. And this is exactly what you have here. You have David versus Goliath. And a very, again, a very popular, a story that's been so popularized that the term Goliath is now in our dictionary as something that's challenging. So, I mean, you can actually look it up and it's not a proper name. It's actually a word that can describe a situation. So, it, it, it's been so popularized, it, oftentimes it means the underdog, the little man that comes out on top. And we like stories like that. And this is one where there is some taunting involved. If you notice, uh, when David steps out on the battlefield, Goliath, one of his strategies is to taunt him. You know, are you going to come at me like, am I a dog? You're going to come with sticks so I can go fetch them? I mean, what, what, what is this, this little kid out here? Um, and he begins to curse him by his gods. And he's taunting him. And taunting was actually uh, a thing that you did before warfare in the ancient world. And it's actually something we still practice today, isn't it? I mean, you, you think of, uh, I'm not a boxing fan, but I've seen it before, where they have, you know, they go back and forth and they even have a panel discussion. I, I guess, I don't really keep up with it. It looks like to me a panel discussion about taunting one another. I'm going to do this, and you know, you're going to do that. And, and even, you know, in the role playing of wrestling. Uh, which is sort of a, a you know, southern pastime, if you will. Uh, you know, there, there's this taunting that is involved before the fight. And there's a build-up. And even, even in college football, which I know you can identify with, unless you just literally don't live here at all, uh, is, is, there's taunting involved. There's a lot of words that are said. There's a lot of words that are spoken. But as you know and as I know, what matters is actually what happens on the battlefield. What happens happens between the lines. When the whistle goes off, that's where those words will either fall on deaf ears, fall on fallow ground, or they will take root. So I say that as introduction to say, I don't want to be someone that, that is just simply blowing hot air. That is just adding to the immense amount of words that we find online or in our airwaves that are literally floating around us, waving through. If we could just simply see as a satellite does to pick up all the words that are being spoken, are we just blowing hotter? You know, here's, here's what I've learned. is that In this battle that we're in, in this spiritual battle, it's not just going to be through words. It's not just going to be through blowing up on Facebook. 
blowing up on uh, whatever social media outlet you have. That's easy to do. It's easy to taunt the other side, especially when you know you're right. It's easy to do that. And that's the easy thing to do, but the hard thing is to step between the lines. Enter the ring. Hear the whistle blow and know it's your turn. The ball is in your court. Now it's time to act. And so what I want to say this morning, along with what Samuel is saying uh, about David and this story of Goliath, is that if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to be the victor in this battle, in our own battles, then we're going to have to act. It's not good enough just to talk about it all the time. It's not good enough just to have the right words and spew the right stuff. There must come a time where we meet the battle head on. So here's the first point. Stand up and meet the challenge. This is going to be real basic this morning. David does not sit around like everyone else and talk about the problem. The problem's ten foot tall. The problem's out on the battlefield cursing Yahweh. The problem is the elephant in the room that everybody knows and everybody can pick on and throw rocks at. You know, there, there's... It's, Sun Tzu uh, wrote a book, The Art of War, and he says in that book, know thy enemy. We need to know our enemy. We also need to know ourself. And one thing I've learned about myself is that I sometimes am my greatest enemy. One thing I've learned that I that I don't like about myself, but um, it's part of it's part of uh, part of my nature that God is redeeming, uh, and He can redeem it. But it's still it's still who I am, and that is I can actually identify problems pretty good. And I don't always have good solutions. So in other words, I can definitely talk about problems till the cows come home. And many of you are good at this as well, aren't you? You know the problems in our world. You know the problems at work. You know the problems in your family. And we talk and we talk ad nauseum. Which means until we're ready to throw up, if you don't know Latin. Um, which I don't know Latin either, but I know that phrase. <laughs> so forgive me. But we talk and we talk. And one thing I appreciate about people that I have seen in the church who are saints of God, who have lived, who have done the battles, who have won the battles in the ring, once the whistle blows, one thing I've noticed about them is they are willing to stand up and go meet the challenges head on. Does that mean they always have a plan? No. Does it mean they know everything going in? No. And that doesn't seem like a very safe way to do battle, is it? I mean, as you know, when battle plans are being drawn up, we want as much intelligence as we possibly can get our hands on. We want to know what we're walking into. We want to know what's behind that door. We want to know what's upstairs waiting for us. But you know what? In this walk of faith, in this battle... What's more important than intelligence about the future is the intelligent one who calls us. He's got the oversight. (laughs) He's got something better than satellites. 
He has, better than, he has stuff better than drones. Better than wireless communication. He's right here. He's right here in us. And He calls us to follow Him. Not to go places that He Himself has not gone. He is the ultimate victor. So, we must take courage, my friends, this morning. Joshua is told... I mean, he has an unfathomable uh, job opportunity. Which, I mean, he has to fill the shoes of Moses. How do you even do that? Where do you even begin? Well, the first place to begin is apparently not to try to be Moses. Amen. We're not called to be other people. You're called to be who God has made you. I have my weaknesses. If you've been with us long enough, you begin to see those weaknesses. You know those weaknesses. If you don't know, ask Jessica. She's an expert at my weaknesses. But you know what? It's not all up to me. This church does not rise or fall on me. And that's freeing for me. Instead, we work as a team. And where I am weak, somebody else is strong. And I, lo- I, I, I could sit here for an hour and tell you how, how where, where I'm weak or where somebody else is weak, God has brought people in. He knows what He is doing. He is building an army. We, we sang it this morning. He's building an army of people. An elite team to represent Him right here in Madison. This is our battlefield right here in front of us. You know, we, yes, we're doing battle all the way across the world too. And, and our job sometimes is to go over there and help. Go over there and give aid. Go over there and learn. But the battle also must be fought right here. But more importantly, listen to this. More importantly than even right here in our own city. Right here in our own nation. The battle must be won here. You're not going to be able to join this fight if you are losing in here. If you don't have the victory in here, in your heart, if Jesus is not really Lord here, how are you going to go out and face the enemy? How are you going to go and correct others? You cannot. We cannot. Jesus gives that funny and powerful image when He says, look, we can identify other people's faults. I mean, when I look at you, I see a beam. But it's tough to see our own. We have blind spots. You know what blind spots are? They're sort of becoming uh, uh, obsolete in cars now because we have all these devices, cameras on the back. But you know what's great? Even with all that stuff, we still have blind spots we don't see. There's things that we miss. And if you've ever gotten over and you're like, whoa, there's somebody there. They were in your blind spot, we say. Can I submit to you that you have blind spots that you don't know about? that I have blind spots that I don't know about. We live with ourselves all the time and we can't always see ourselves properly. Some of us have an image of ourselves that is incorrect. Maybe the world gave us that image. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe people have spoke wrong things into your life. 
Maybe people have spoken right things into your life and you have refused to listen. Maybe there are signs all around you of what you're really producing, what I'm really producing, and I refuse to believe them. Refuse to see them. That's dangerous. That's what will get you killed. You see, Goliath had a blind spot. He didn't think this little boy with a sling and a staff was going to defeat him. And yet, he fell that day. He underestimated his enemy. So we, as Christians, if we're going to be victorious, we have to stand up. And here's what God tells Joshua with this immense job he has of filling the shoes of Moses and then moving into the promised land and and basically uprooting all these people who have lived there for years and years... He's going to, his job is to take it all over. Now you know what he learns? Not to be Moses. And that his job is actually God's job. His commission is actually God's commission. And so what's more important for Joshua to understand, and God teaches him this in the book of Joshua if you want to go read it. I mean, Joshua is a military general. Point blank. And God says to him, look... Get your men ready for war. And I can just imagine his, you know, his, his mind's, okay, we gotta do, we're going to have a six-week training here, basic training for these guys, you know, uh, elite training for these guys. You know, we need some munitions people, we need some cavalry guys, we need some guys. That, and God said, no, 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 I think you misunderstood me. I said, prepare them to fight. He said, I, I, I'm, yeah, God, I'm trying to do that, man. I'm trying to lie. How many people we got? got no, no, guys, no, not that. You remember, that, you remember that image where he actually meets the actual commander of, of the Lord's armies? He, it's, it's nightfall and he can't really see very well. He's like, who is it? He said, hey, are you for us or are you against us? And the man speaks and says, neither. That's an interesting answer. I've always been fascinated by that answer. You see, God is actually bringing judgment upon these peoples of Canaan by the Israelites. But he's not against those people in Canaan. He loves those people in Canaan. He actually waited patiently for them to repent, and they never did. And you know that they fell into the most gross kinds of sexual perversion. The Canaanites, of all the religions you'll ever study, I mean ever study, they had some of the more perverse sexual sins. And God said, okay, it's time. Is that reminiscent of anything that's happening in our world? And so God says, neither. I'm not against the Canaanites, but I'm about to judge them. Just as He wasn't against Israel, but He judged them. There, as I always say, their judge-a-meter ran out too. God is very patient. I mean, He is way more patient than any of us in this room. And yet, there comes a time when judgment will come. We may be at that point. I don't know. I'm not a a seer. But if we are, then we better prepare. We better prepare for the battle at hand. We better prepare as Jeremiah, who we've already talked about, prepared. We need to stand up. We need to go out and meet. Notice, David 
doesn't just lollygag around. Instead, when it's time to fight, you know, the Philistine taunts, he taunts back, and then it's time to fight. And so he, it literally says, he ran toward the battle line. I love that. I just see this little guy running toward the big guy. I mean, I mean what an image that is. It, it, it kind of reminds me of, of football when they come out of the tunnel, you know? And everybody's booing them. And maybe they're the underdog. But they run out as if they're victorious already. They're pumped up. And I see David running out. And, and, and that's, that's the way we must meet this challenge, even in our own lives, is to take courage. That's what God tells Joshua. Take courage. I am with you. Now, the second thing that I think uh, 1 Samuel teaches me is this. That we need to know our gifts. We need to know our abilities. We need to know our weapon. Every one of you have been gifted by God. So every single, every single person in this room, you have something to offer to God and to His church. He has gifted you with your personality. He has gifted you with certain gifts, abilities, wisdom, life experiences. David knew his life experiences. Notice in the text, if you read through it this afternoon, you'll see that he actually reasons with Saul because Saul says, you can't go out there, you're just a kid. And he says, look, I've actually faced lions and I've faced bears before that took my sheep and I whipped it up and smacked them in the brain and they're out. They're dead. I killed them. David knew his ability. His ability was with the sling. What did Saul try to set him up with? His armor. You remember? He sets him up with his armor. He puts his heavy stuff on. Gives him his... He says, no, no, no. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick with my sling. Now, the slingshot is actually misunderstood. It's not, it's not um, Dennis the Menace slingshot, right? With the two prongs and you pull it back. That's not what we're talking about. This was actually a very known weapon of war. A very powerful weapon of war. If you go back and study, they were called slingers. Uh, And they actually were extremely accurate at what they did. And so they could release it and not only hit you in the head, but hit you at particular places on your head. So says certain Roman slingers. And so if you actually go back and say, slingers, you know, this, this slingshot thing was actually a pretty serious business. It was actually a weapon that could do the job potentially. And yet against this huge foe, he's thinking, no, I mean, I can see a rock coming, come on. And yet it sinks in his forehead and he apparently passes out and then gets his head chopped off. It's kind of a, kind of a sobering story for us. And the way we do warfare today, we like everything from a distance, Right. Not any kind of up and personal combat. And so we, we, we live in a society that tries to protect us from death, protect us from, from that sort of thing. And we, we feel like we're more civilized, even so butchering babies. Amen. You ever thought about that? Amen. All the while it's happening right under our noses and we think of ourselves as more civilized than this society. I'm sorry, we're not. We're more evil. You know, Nazi Germany was a Christian nation. 
Go back and look. They had churches everywhere. Karl Barth, the greatest philosophers. You won't read philosophy without reading German. So if you're going to study it, you've got to go learn German. Which is why I never studied it. Not good at languages. It's not my gifting. And here they are exterminating people. And we look back and we say, what kind of people could literally be eating their breakfast and go throw people in the oven all day and come back to their family? What kind of people? This kind of people. This kind of nation. There's all sorts of evil that's around us, but we don't take notice. We don't have time. We don't stand up. We don't challenge the forces that be. We say they're too big. We say there's nothing we can do. And I think Jesus is grieved when we say that. There is something you must do. Not something you just can do, but you must do. If you are a disciple of Him, we again take up our cross and we follow Him into the battle. Jesus was not afraid of a fight. We think of Him and we, we idolatrize in our minds, if you will, a Jesus that's just a hippie, for lack of better terminology. Somebody that's just all about peace, you know, giving the peace sign all the time. And, and yet He calls Herod Antipas, who murdered John, He calls him a fox, which is not a nice term. He wasn't giving him a compliment. He was calling him out, just as John had done. And John lost his head. You see, there is a battle, and we need to know our gifts, we need to know our abilities, we need to know our calling and our weaponry. God has equipped us with the sword of the Spirit. We don't use it lightly. The Bible says that the Bible actually is like a sword that pierces us down to the heart. Have you ever had that happen? That a word from the word actually pierces all the way down to your heart. You know it's God speaking to you. It's not something made up in your head. It's not the enemy. It is God. You see, we need to know our enemy and our enemy is a liar. He's an accuser. He will accuse you of thing after thing. He will try to get you down on yourself. He'll try to get you always focused on yourself. And that's where we fail. The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. It is not up to me. It is not up to you. We look to Him. We look to each other. You know, that's again, you know, I hate to bring it, but it's... The Navy SEALs, what makes them so great is they look to each other. They know how to work as a team. Even though they're type A personalities. When they get in the battlefield, when it, when it counts, when the whistle goes off, when it's time to play, when it's time to fight, they are dying right beside one another. And they're willing to lay their life down. Are we? Are we? What are we going to leave behind? Are other generations going to look at us and say, what kind of people would have never said anything? Would have never stood up for the unborn, for the least of these? You see, to win a fight, 
it's going to take heart. You ever notice that? I mean, one of these big games that, you know, Super Bowl, it's the, it's the championship football game. I mean, you ever seen your team go out there and they just thought they had it? You're like, oh goodness, this is not going to be good. If they come out there prideful, you know they're going to lose. If they're not playing with heart, you know they're going to lose. If the other team wants it, if they're hungry for it, that can win the game. And you know what? I believe the Bible teaches us the exact same thing. And that is, it's going to take heart to win this war. To win this battle that rages in some... Some of you literally are battling over who you're going to be in this world. You've already walked down certain paths. You don't think you can turn around, but you can. You've been told you can't, but you can. There is a battle that is raging. And and here's what the Bible says, is that the heart is deceitful above all things. Some of you have convinced yourself you're a good person. You are not. And the best way I know, you are not. Paul says, we think too highly of ourselves. When we reach a point where we think better of others than we do of ourselves, then we're on the road to sanctification. Then we have the kind of mind that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Look, Jesus knows everything and He still loves us. That shows His humbleness. He could expose us all. He could bring us all to naught. And He chooses not to. Every Pharisee he ever met, every argument he was ever in, every fight that he ever encountered in his three and a half years of ministry, he could have exposed the person on the spot and demeaned them and embarrassed them. He did not. So why do we? When we're in an argument with somebody, what in the world is demeaning them going to help? I don't mean just being pure reasonable. I mean actually loving that person. You're going to have disagreements in your life. You're going to have arguments in family, in your marriage, with your kids. It's going to happen. What matters is the outcome. Not just the words, but who you are in that fight. Yes. You know... (laughs) I can't uh, make you stand up. I can't make you know your gifts and abilities in Christ. I can't give you heart for this war. But what I can do is tell you that in my own personal life, even this week, uh, as the old timers used to say, God took me to the woodshed. Which is a nice way of saying He chastened me. Which He gave me a good spanking. And one of the things that he brought up was something that I had laid to rest a long time ago. I was done with. I thought, you know, that's over with. God said, no, no, no. I've been, I've been waiting patiently for you to recognize this. And now I want you to go and make it right. Again, words are easy. Hear what I'm, I'm, I love words, okay? But I'm telling you, words are easy. To tell somebody they're wrong, to leave it at that, to just confess your sins to God, that is easy. To confess your sins to a brother or to a sister in Christ that loves you, that will mentor you, 
That's where the rubber meets the road. James says, if you want to be healed, then confess your sins to God and confess them to another brother or sister. And then, go make it right. Jesus says, if you come down and pray and repent, and you're just pouring yourself out to Me, and you have unforgiveness in your heart, you haven't made things right with someone that you know you offended or you know you wronged, or maybe you weren't even wrong, but just your attitude was wrong, then you know what? I'm not going to hear your prayer. So, God says to me, you better deal with that or we're not going any further. He draws a line in the sand. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Just to embarrass myself for fun, I've told you before that before church one Sunday, I was uh, speeding along one of the roads because I was late going to get communion stuff of all things. Communion supplies. And I came up on this lady, pretty hardcore, you know, behind her, and, uh, and she was offended, driving. And, uh, and she pulled up and she yelled out the window some things, and I just kind of took it, and alright, well, I did a good job because I didn't respond back, right? And so I'm walking through the grocery store and, and getting communion stuff, literally holding, you know, these elements. And... There she is, and I walk past her and just tried to ignore the situation. So I get in my car, I'm like, okay, you know, I look, I did the right thing because I mean, yeah, I was wrong, but I didn't, you know, respond back, <clears throat> excuse me, to her in a negative way, so everything's good. And the Holy Spirit said, You better stop the car. You really think you can go preach to people if something in your life is wrong like that? Restitution. Make restitution. I had to turn around. Go back in the grocery store, running through the aisles because I didn't want to miss it. And I found her and I, I said, Ma'am, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm really sorry for, for coming up on you like that. And, um, and I said, you know, I, I tried to ignore it, but the Lord told me to come back and just apologize to you. I'm, I'm really sorry. She said, oh, it's, it's fine. You know, it's, it's, I understand. And... and uh, Made things right. Have you made things right? We are in a war. It's not time to sit on the sidelines. It's not a time to be in the stands just talking about what's wrong with the team. It's time to act. Some of you have unforgiveness in your hearts. Some of you need to say it. Just speak it to that person. You say you love them, then show it. Let them hear it. Look them in the eye. I'm going to have to do that this week. Go to somebody and ask for their forgiveness. That's all right. I've done it before so many times I'm used to it. (laughs) Not really. It's always a little tough, but it just shows that I have messed up in my life. Just like I told the kids. I have been wrong. It's going to take a pure heart in order to be victorious. That's what I mean by heart. Not just motivation. A pure heart. Let me tell you this story as we close. As you know, I planted 
well, I had planted, uh, nowhere someone, I paid somebody to plant for the first time ever, a bunch of trees in my backyard, a line of them. And they planted them improperly. In other words, they just barely put them in the soil. And they also, unbeknownst to me, because I couldn't see underneath the soil, they did not unravel the burlap and the cords uh, to the root ball. You know what I'm talking about, the root ball. Right? I'm just learning all this horticultural stuff, so forgive me. But So they had, he just basically had put it in there just as it came. Well, my trees aren't doing anything. I mean, they're not, it's springtime. They're just essentially all but dead and dying. I mean, they're turning brown. I'm like, man, I just bought these things, a lot of money. This sort of, So I dig one of them up, and I realize that the root ball is all tied up and bound. And, I, and, you know, what I'm then told is that thing's going to die if you don't release it. So I literally had to, all nine of my trees, you know, well, eight of them, one of them was completely already dead. Uh, I had to dig back up, dig around, put the right amount of fertilizer, you know, the, the good soil mixed with my clay, and, and then put it back down and replant every single one of those things. But you know what? Right now, if you go to my house today, man, I've got some seriously green trees. And they're actually, they've actually grown a few inches, which is insane that, that this process just sort of happened. I mean, I, I'm just amazed at how much they've actually grown. Point being this. Some of you, your root ball, your heart, where it really matters, the core of who you are, is bound up with sin. You are wrapped up in cords of wickedness. You can try to act like it's okay. It is not. You will die in your sins if you are not unloosed from those cords. If the one who brings freedom does not unbound you from that sin or from that attitude or from that unforgiveness or shame or whatever it might be for you in your life, if He does not loose you, you will die. For the wages of sin is always death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something a little different than what we've done in the past. I'm going to ask you in a moment to get up, just like, I've, just like David did. And for those who are uncommitted, those who are wandering, those who are guilty, those who are ashamed, those who are depressed, those who are angry, those who are unforgiving, those who don't care those who are lying, those who are living a lie, those who are scared, people that are anxious, addicted, cold inside, blind, in need of a word, lost, condemned, I want you to call out the Christian's battle cry with me. So I I read an article recently that I really liked. As we end, I promise I'm ending. I'm like a plane that's being, you know, diverted. And you know, I'm just kind of circling, making sure I can land properly. It's something preachers do. And it gave, I think it was like 15 different battle cries throughout history. 
And some of them even had audio of people replicating. I mean, it was, it was pretty freaky, pretty crazy to hear. I mean, if that was on the other side, I'd be running the other way. Was I had a cry of my own. You know what our battle cry is? Jesus. 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 The name of Jesus. That name can free us from anything we face. It doesn't matter what Goliath you're looking at. It doesn't matter what Goliath is in our nation or in our world today. That one name is our battle cry. We need older people to stand up and actually run out to meet the enemy. Go the way so that we can follow behind. We need young people to stand up like David to give the older people courage. We need middle-aged people to stand up and actually take courage, know your gifts, and give your heart to Jesus. Because here's what He will do. He will be victorious in us if we do that. The battle must be won here before we go any further. If we're going to meet this week, if you're going to meet your Goliath, the battle must be won there. Jesus can do that if we empty ourselves, if, if we do exactly what I told the kids to do, and that is be honest when we're wrong. Ask Jesus to forgive us and then empty ourselves out, pull in a brother or a sister in the faith that's a mentor, that's a discipler, and walk with them to this battlefield so that when the last whistle blows, guys, you'll know you're on the winning side. The fight won't last forever. It's not going to last. We must not lose heart. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand and we're going to read together Psalm 51. David was not defined in his life by that sin that we read about earlier. He did a lot of wrong. But you know what? God restored him. I want you to hear that prayer this morning. And I want you to make it your own. And then we're going to immediately go into our time of communion. And I'm going to ask you to actually come down, get your body involved, and pour your heart out to God. If you have heard Him, if, you, if He has pointed to something, I want you to make that decision today. Make that commitment to Him today. Amen.